thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. We cover as much as we can, everything and anything cannabis related, so that we can bring you the most up-to-date information to help you make good choices right now, especially in the marketplace when you're going out and searching out products and dispensaries, educating you enough so that you can make a good decision about your own health and well-being. And today, we are really, really, really fortunate to be able to have an opportunity to talk to the California Bureau uh, Chief of Leafly, who happens to be has been one of the leaders in the coverage of the vape pen lung disease from the black market THC cartridges that's been going around the country. His name is Mr. David Downs, and David's here today. So, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Montel. Yes, sir. Good morning. You know, as of Tuesday, September 10th, the CDD, CDC has reported that up to 450 cases in 33 states of severe acute respiratory distress syndrome possibly associated with a recently inhaled drug, meaning vape drug, and as many as six patients may have died from the condition. The deaths occurred in Illinois, Oregon, Indiana, California, Minnesota, Kansas. And here's what you need to know, and you need to know it today. So, David, thank you so much, first off, for putting out this article and updating us all on what is going on. Sure. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people have known for a long time that they can't trust uh, drugs, uh, including cannabinoids like THC, that they necessarily purchase from the street. As much as they like to think um, most people have good intentions, you know, the profit motive and cannabis is a $52 billion industry in California can um, cause people to do cut corners or just do things that are negligent and sometimes even criminally negligent. So we've known for a while that there's been an issue with contamination in the cannabis supply chain in the illicit market, whether it's been pesticides on plants or uh, dirty edibles or residual solvent in vape carts or heavy metals. But uh, those simmering issues have been brought to a boil by this uh, outbreak of clusters of acute respiratory distress brought on by recently vaping. And um, Well, let me, can, but real quick, let me ask you a question, because when you say recently, now, has this not been something that has been developing over the last year, last couple of years, where it really just started in this last year? CDC has said, we're not sure if we're catching something better than that has been occurring for a while or if this is brand new. We do think that it started in April in the Midwest out of Wisconsin and Illinois in terms of this current syndrome. Um, but now that all the health authorities in the country are looking for it, um, you know, they're going to find it more often. As this doctor in Kings County said, you know, we connected the dots here, but there's dots everywhere. And so now that we have really good syndromic surveillance and reporting, we expect, you know, these cases to continue to rise and also some false positives to, to develop. And some of these later deaths that people were pretty old or older and they had existing medical illnesses and it might not have been the, the vape might have tipped them over, but they weren't exactly like the first three cases, which were all juveniles in, um, in the Midwest. I mean, we should back up and say that, you know, people have been vaping, vaping in this way for now close to nine years. I mean, I can remember... Back in, you know, uh, uh, 2011 and then 2012, that vaping was something that I, I remember myself being introduced to back then, but not hearing anything now for eight years is kind of crazy. Yeah. I remember being a medical patient in California, in San Francisco, and going to the Green Cross, and in the back of the office, they had uh, carts for sale. And you're like, what are carts? And they're like, oh, they're vape cartridges, and they're filled with oil. You're like, that's crazy. Um, The vape device, the e-cigarette device was patented in China, I think over 10 or 15 years ago. 
It's uh, rapidly uh, rose in popularity since then, uh, along with its use in uh, the illicit market for cannabis. And uh, I think we have just gotten to the point where the market is so big and there's so many actors involved and uh, these long-standing issues with purity have hit a point where um, we, we have our first case of a real problem of contamination in this really advanced uh, cannabis supply chain. Okay, now, and should we also make sure we make it clear that it's not just in the cannabis supply chain, it's also in the e-cigarette chain, nicotine chain, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, um, we saw it start with black market THC cards that were often stuck in a jewel battery, and so you have uh, unsophisticated investigators in the Midwest and the East going, it's a jewel, it's nicotine. It's not necessarily nicotine. And these teenagers aren't honest with you. They'll say, I'm nicotine, I'm, I'm juuling, I'm vaping nicotine. And then if you press them on it and you're like, what were you really vaping? They admit that they're buying uh, unlicensed pods and sticking them in a jewel battery. And a lot of those pods were filled with THC and other contaminants. We think there's about 50 to 60 million jewel cartridges per uh, month in California or in America being filled with stuff that jewel didn't put in there. And so this is a real teachable moment that, the whole e-cigarette space is not being regulated. Uh, the FDA doesn't plan on regulating it till 2022. And so when you're buying a quote-unquote jewel or a blue cigarette from a truck stop or a head shop, you can't be sure that what's in there is what the actual company jewel put in there. Um, and especially if you're blind, buying um, you know, disposable pods on the street, that's doubly so a concern. And so we think this issue emanates out of the illicit market for THC. And uh, it's being confused with nicotine use uh, or overlapping with uh, illicit use of nicotine or illicit, um, you know, nicotine pod products. Like if you're a if you're a pen factory and you're doing great business, making knockoff jewels full of THC, it's pretty reasonable to diversify your uh, sales line into also knockoff nicotine jewel pods as well. And if you start using some of these cutting agents. Um, you might set yourself up for a problem. And that's what we're finding is that it's the cutting agent that people are using that's really where the true problem is. And what would you say right this minute to anybody who's listening? I mean, should you stop vaping if you're vaping? Um, you know, the FDA or the, um, the American Medical Association said Monday to stop vaping anything. Um, the American Thoracic Society, you know, they're, they love your lungs. They've never said vaping was okay. Um, some of these older school additives, the traditional ones like propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, they might uh, be less harmful. Certainly, they've been used in like inhalers, medical inhalers for a long time. Um, if I was someone who consumed nicotine via vapes, I would only be purchasing um, legit store-bought items or direct from like Juul or those manufacturers. I wouldn't be purchasing anything off the street or, or from a third-party retailer. And then if I was vaping THC, I wouldn't be, I would be throwing out any illicit vape cartridges I own, and I would only be consuming flour or rosin or other non-adulterated products if I purchased them in the illicit market, if at all. Uh, in general, I'd be trying to shop at licensed stores and buying stuff that I know is tested. Yeah, and in, in, and around the country right now, I mean, we have 34 states in the District of Columbia that has some form of recreational, or sorry, adult use and also medical cannabis use. And most of these places have registered, licensed dispensaries that should be selling only products that have been at least tested by a third-party testing organization. That's correct. This is exactly like bathtub gin at the end of alcohol prohibition. It claimed about 10,000 lives before we decided this is stupid. 
We're cleaning up the consumer supply of alcohol. You can only buy alcohol from licensed producers who are doing it right. It's the same problem with distillation and contamination that we've had before with other foods and drugs when there's no oversight. This is why Congress needs to do the will of 63% of the American voters who want adult use with uh, rules and the 90% of voters who want medical use with rules. Um, rules bring oversight and standards, and they cut down considerably on uh, contamination issues like this. And we found that in general, the states with adult use regulated access to cannabis are more immune to these contamination problems than the black market by far. Um, Washington just announced its first and only case of lung illness just this week. Keep in mind, they've already had 54, 64 in New York, 54 in Wisconsin. California, uh, three out of every $4 spent is in the black market. We got 54 cases of this. By contrast, Colorado only has four. Oregon only has two. When people have the option to purchase safe, tested, clean uh, cannabinoids, they will do so and they will be healthier than those who are turning to the street. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I get the fact that, you know, what was it yesterday or the day before, I think it was yesterday, that the president weighed in and said that we're going to have to ban X, Y, Z. And literally, as he seems to be doing with anything, he's stepping into something without the full knowledge of the science behind it. Now he's saying, let's get rid of flavored cigarettes, where he should be talking about, you know, we know that the cannabinoids are available to people in 34 of our states. And so what we need to do now is, number one, self-police, or number two, we need to set up the standards by which people could actually purchase a good, efficacious product. Yeah, Julian Castro put out a great tweet being like, the solution to this is to legalize and regulate on a federal level. Uh, we have people in all 50 states using cannabinoids, and there might be only uh, nine of them, if you look at the adult use ones, where there's really decent standards. Um, some of the medical programs are starting to be more advanced. New York, for example, bans tocopherol acetate in a vape pen. But yeah, um, I think the Trump administration, like so many things they do, is misfiring here, firing at the wrong thing. But it also speaks to this impetus to uh, regulate e-cigarettes. And one of the first things they wanted to do with regard to regulating e-cigarettes, and they've been thinking about it for a while, was go after the flavorings and additives in there because they're so attractive to kids and we know so little about their uh, safety profile. And so it's not surprising to me that that's the first thing they trotted out was something they'd been wanting to do for a while but didn't have enough of the political support to do. And yeah, I think given the nature of this issue, it is a, a kind of a misfire and I can see where the e-cigarette you know, uh, electronic nicotine delivering system people, the end people are like, what is your problem? You, you know, we got people dying from black market THC pens and you're worried about the cherry flavoring in my jewel. Um, but uh, to those people, I would say, look, most regulators, most politicians are not very sophisticated about this. They're hearing from their anti-tobacco people. Those people have been thumping on their chest about the uh, flavorings for a while, and so they're going to be the first to go. And now let's 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 take a little bit of a deeper dive into exactly what's going on here. What what is the suspected diagnosis that's happening when it comes to this this respiratory illness? That's a great question. It looks a lot like lipoid pneumonia. These people have classic issues with getting enough oxygen in your body, and when you're not getting enough oxygen in your body, you feel weak, you feel tired. You can't go up a flight of stairs. You can't lift an arm. Uh, you'll feel nauseous. Your body's like, I don't know what's going on. You, you'll get some diarrhea. And it gets progressively worse until you get scared enough to go to the ER. And they'll usually then they think, oh, you got pneumonia. Here's some antibiotics. 
uh, get back out there and uh, shake it off. But the antibiotics don't work. The system, the, the syndrome progresses, progresses. You're back in the hospital. They check your blood oxygen. It's 90% and going down. And they go, oh, my God. They give you every test in the book. You test negative for any bacteria or viral uh, issue, but your lungs aren't working. And so what they give you is steroids, a big dose of steroids. And that has the ability to dampen down on the inflammation and the other immune activity in your lungs that is um, causing you to not be able to get oxygen. So we think that if you inhale a tocopherol acetate, a vitamin E oil, or uh, a lot of a range of different oils, these substances interfere with the fluid lining the surface of your lungs. You have a lipid protein uh, surfactant on your lungs that enables your lungs to transfer oxygen into your blood. When you um, inhale oil, it coats that surfactant and it clogs it up and it's like saran wrapping the inside of your lungs. All of a sudden, that surfactant can't do its job and transfer gases. This kicks off an immune reaction, a runaway inflammatory immune reaction. Your immune system freaks out and tries to gobble up all this oil and it fails and cells die and the process um, runs away from itself to the point where the immune system starts doing more damage to the body than the toxic insult to begin with. And if doctors don't catch it in time, if they don't give you a fat dose of steroids fast, you can do so much damage that um, your lungs never recover. And so the patient that died in the New England Journal of Medicine article, they looked at the cluster in Wisconsin and Illinois, he didn't get steroids for the first 50 days. And by the time they did get him on steroids, he, he needed a machine to breathe for him. Everybody else, they gave him steroids the first seven days, and uh, they, they recovered enough to send them home, send the people home with steroids, and they're still making a recovery. Yeah, and these tocopherol, uh, ferals that uh, people are consuming were never, ever, ever meant to be inhaled. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we got, uh, and we know that, you know, this, we, we ask ourselves at leafly, like, what's new? What's different? What could be everywhere at once? And the answer is these new additives and thickeners that they've been putting in vape carts since the end of last year and have really taken off this year. Um, home chemists and people without uh, medicine degrees have looked online and they said, oh, you know, we gave uh, vitamin E oil to rats and they were fine, or some people ate it and they were fine. No one has ever done medium, long-term, short-term studies on inhaling vape vitamin E oil, probably because they know it's such a bad idea right off the bat. And the limited data we have show that it's, it's not a good idea. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that it's it, caught on in the streets for some other reasons we can talk about. Well, let's talk about those. It caught on the street because it's cheap. That's right. You know, near the end of last year, um, vape consumers started getting wise and noticing that uh, the viscosity or the thickness of the THC oil is a good proxy for its potency. And uh, if, the, if the oil was too runny, that means it had been cut a lot. And so cutters upped their game and started using diluent thickeners that can cut THC oil without uh, thinning it. And so consumers don't know that it's less potent. And we think we have a, con a perfect storm here going where um, these diluents appear on the market. Um, the supplies of bulk THC oil went down because of legalization and enforcement kicking up. The quality of vape carts went down because of tariffs and prices going up 25% and people switching to crappier stuff. And all of those things can um, contribute to this syndrome. We think this started with a product called Honeycut in downtown LA late last year. We think 40 manufacturers reverse engineered Honeycut, figured out it was vitamin E oil, started selling their own versions of it. 
Um, New York's been finding it when they've been buying samples of this stuff, and they've also been finding it in seized carts. We think it's in 50 million carts in America. It might be 60% of the Dave cart market this year, and we clearly have a big problem. And this is in some some carts that are even found in dispensaries? Um, so that's the $60,000 question. We reviewed the state regulations on uh, purity and additives, and we found that there's some pretty big gaps. So the, the states have been concerned with pesticides, heavy metals, residual solvent, known issues with cannabis contamination. And so products in California dispensaries are cleaner and purer than they've ever been. One, you know, but the issue with these additives is, is that world moves really fast. And so Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and California, to our knowledge, have no action limits or bans on additives that we know of, let alone some of these novel new ones like tocopherol acetate. We expect regulators to start revisiting those and, um, and probably changing the rules to ban them. Again, state legal markets with testing is a, are a little bit immune because if you cut a THC oil 90% with uh, vitamin E oil and try to get it through testing, it's going to show up as a cart that's 10% potent. And nobody's buying a 10% cart at a legal store. They want to buy a 50 or 60% cart. So if there is vitamin E oil in the, list, the legal supply chain, it might be at lower amounts, and that's why we might be not seeing as much of the trouble as we're seeing in the Midwest. And I just don't understand. I mean, I, I happen to, you know, be producing a product myself, and this would be the last thing that I would think about adding any kind of additive like that to my product. So I don't get why all of a sudden people decided that, what, if I'm going to save a penny? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, we're here that this stuff is going for 10 cents a gram, and, um, you know, these people are, are home chemists and armchair researchers. They don't know how to read a safety data sheet. They don't know how to read uh, a journal report. You know, um, the, some of these producers who've admitted using this stuff have sent me the research that they were pointing to. And the research doesn't say anything about inhalation or it talks about a different molecule tested on 17 sheep or it talks about a different molecule given to people orally. Um, no, no manufacturer who's tried to use this correctly has supplied us with uh, research that would in any way justify its use. It's a combination of good people who made wrong decisions and bad people who didn't care. And we should talk about the fact that a second this started popping and rearing its ugly head, a lot of these suppliers started disappearing, did they not? That's correct. Uh, the Honeycut website is uh, off, offline. Um, there's a bunch of other knockoff brands that have deleted their Instagram pages and disappeared. And then some of the above board brands like Floraplex and True Terpenes, they've pulled their thickener products from the market uh, out of, quote, an abundance of caution. And so we've seen the thickener space react in a way that, you know, further justifies scrutiny of what they've been putting in these pens. Yeah, like I have been I have been really adamant and trying to be adamant with our with our uh, uh uh, manufacturing partners to to say that from day one, and when I started in this business, I really fought the idea of adding any non-hemp-based terpenes to any product that I was producing because that was a vape product. Because I felt like you know if we don't roll up a you know you don't roll up a mango into a, a, some some paper and smoke it, why would we vape it? Yeah, you know. Um... In general, they say the dose makes the poison, and there's lots of great things in cannabis um, and in hemp uh, and in nature, but sometimes when you combine them or concentrate them, you can create something that you don't want to create. And so, you know, we got concerns in general about even cannabis-derived terpenes if in too high of uh, quantities, you know, cannot, will certainly can, cannot be helpful. 
Um, and in general, we, know we have long-term longitudinal studies on the health of people who have been inhaling smoked cannabis for decades, and they're fine. What we don't have is similar data on people who are inhaling distillates, let alone distillates cut with additives, flavorings, or thickeners in any amount of time to, to stay the same. So honestly, I mean, I think we're right now where there's a has been a movement, even in the last couple of months, I think, or really the last couple of years, where people have tried to suggest let's get back to the whole plant rather than this overprocessed plant. What do you think of that? For sure, I think you know we're at the dawn of the industrialization of cannabis, and it's going from a folk art to a crop science. And just think about what happened to vegetable oil in the 20s and 30s or all other sort of agricultural products. We applied industrial engineering to them and we came up with a whole bunch of different formulations. Corn might be fine. High fructose corn syrup, probably responsible for a bunch of obesity and uh, diabetes deaths in America. The cannabis is at that point. It's 80 years behind the industrialization of, of the crop. And so we're catching up with all of the issues that are going to come out of our ability to analyze, quantify, process, refine, distill, concentrate it that, you know, we didn't really have before when you, you were lucky to grow it and sell it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, let's go back. And I, don't, I hate to, to be repetitive, but I'd love to go back to the topic and ask, you know, what you think and, and make sure that our listeners understand what should they do right now? If they they go into their, you know, their, their bedroom and they look beside the bed and they have a cart there or they have a vape pen there, what should they think? Uh, well, considering most Americans are in an illicit state, I would throw out any distillate or concentrate type product that you obtain from the black market. I don't care what the dealer said, because he's not going to be held responsible. He's going to disappear if uh, you ended up with one of these lung injuries. And it's not like a long term, like, oh, maybe I'm doing some damage. For the first time, we've seen people get acute lung injuries from whatever's clogging up the carts these days. I say, I tell people to Buy legal, buy tested, shop legal. Um, if you're going to vape, vape low, low temp, vape pure. And again, that ties into buying legal. Um, and then, you know, there's always stick to flowers. There's also rosin, which is a non-additive, you know, non-solvent-based uh, extract. If you need a stronger formulation, there's rosin, there's live rosin. And then there's all those other modalities that don't involve inhalation at all whether it's edibles, topicals, transdermals, um, you know, uh, the strips you put in your tongue, you, you name it, you can use it to use cannabinoids that don't involve a black market THC cart this week. Right. And, you know, again, if anybody want to get some more information, I mean, this article, the, the, you put out an incredible article uh, on leafly.com, but where else can they go to get some more information? I think leafly.com is a great resource. We are collecting all the best links we can find on the Internet. You'll find links to the CDC uh, information, the FDA information, the New England Journal of Medicine article, um, some of these other reports. You know, we can sort the wheat from the shaft over there and put forth the best, best available data we have. And, you know, I remind people that um, this is not that strange. You know, we, this is why we did the Harrison Narcotics Act in the 30s and the Pure Food and Drug Act. America has a long history of selling products that uh, thought we were safe, turned out we weren't, required regulation to clean them up. And I think we're hitting the tipping point with cannabis. And it would be a shame if it became about stopping legalization and stopping regulation and oversight, when in reality, we really need to mash down on the gas 
and uh, and and give people safer tested alternatives to stuff they're going to do. And, you know, just like just that comment, though, is kind of contrary to a lot of the people who consider themselves the purest in this industry where they want no government oversight. But don't you think and I, I really firmly believe that it is time since this industry will not self-police and will not write standards for itself, it is time for us to partner with the federal government and form some sort of a regulatory commission that can help identify and help put out some guidelines and rules and information that will help make us all better providers. Right. The states have been labs of democracy, and they've been on the forefront of quality assurance in the cannabinoid supply chain. They have a lot to learn from. The feds can mirror state uh standards and apply them nationally. And if you're a state and you want to opt out of legalization, um, that's fine. You don't have to have any stores or anything like that. You know, you'll probably still have enforcement on the civil and the criminal side. But any states that do want to go forward should be able to do so with the knowledge of um, how to regulate this stuff and what the action limits are for these contaminants and additives. So we get some kind of national parity. And again, like this is about providing people uh, safe avenue for what they've been doing for 60, 70 years, which is consuming cannabinoids. And we've been seeing these issues before, and, and now it just really re- reached a fever pitch. And it's about, it's about you know, I think that this industry needs to stop for a second and say, you know, if we want this industry to continue to grow, you know, it's time for us to step up to the plate and say, we're ready for some regulation. Yeah, even, you know, a lot of them are saying that. And I would also make parallels to the wide open CBD space. We've seen people get CBD oil poisoning from synthetic cannabinoids or dextromethorphan or um, other ingredients that's supposed to be in there. Because, again, everyone wants CBD and there's no national regulated outlet for it. There's just these state legal markets and then a lack of enforcement on anything else. And so the um, illegal operators are operating with impunity. And the consumers are operating in ignorance and, and, uh, and Im- not improperly placed good faith. Right. Absolutely. Folks, I got to tell you something. You've been listening to David Downs, who is the senior bureau chief in Los Angeles or in California for Leafly. And I can't thank you enough, sir, for literally leading the charge in this space. I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's time to have these kind of conversations and have them openly rather than hide like those who are the bad players who have been selling bad product. Yeah, I encourage everyone to call their local representative and get them on board. I mean, like, this is what happens when there's inaction around something we need done. Um, you know, there's the criminal justice aspect and the social justice aspect. But, man, there's nothing like hitting people in the stomach. And this makes people's stomach turn and hopefully makes them see the light about oversight and regulation for a popular activity. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough, David, for being on our, our podcast. So let's be blunt with Montel. And, you know, I'd love to be able to reach out to you and have you back at some time. When we can talk about Any, more positive things. Montel. Absolutely, yeah, sir. I'm, at, I'm at your service. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, my brother. For all of you at home, I hope you can, you know, if you didn't catch the beginning of this podcast, listen to it again. You can just hit rerun. I think there's some really important information that could save your life, save the lives of your friends. And, you know, it's time to have these kinds of conversations straight up, right in the face, so people understand that this is an industry that we know has benefit, and we've proven the benefit. Let's not get ready to have the baby thrown out with the bathwater. Okay, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Tune in on the next one, and make sure you let me know what you think. You know, give me a critique, pass it on to a friend.
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.